is something that I find that tends to help is to have conversations with your direct manager team. If you have one, if you're solo dev, solo dev route, keep it with your manager or on skip level maybe, because you need to have a firm understanding of what they want from DevRel. And it's not a conversation about more is better in terms of what is frequently called vanity metrics, like more conferences is what we want. You need to know the why, because that will allow you to have an arguing position about what's actually a good choice or a bad choice. Welcome fellow avocados to Developer Advocast, a podcast where we learn how the proverbial guacamole is made directly from some of the most prolific dev advocates around. My name is Jeremy Hess, head of DevRel at Aquilas.io. And since you've already heard me, I'm Sharon Zisman, the bane of Jeremy's existence and his jokes. Uh, I like to call myself the chief manual reader at rtfmplanes.dev. And we plan to bring you every two to three weeks uh, new episodes and we'll be interviewing some awesome folks. We'll be joking around because that's what me and Jeremy do. And you know, bringing, uh, you know, really great topics that we want to talk about in the DevRel sphere. We hope that you subscribe on Apple or Spotify and uh, please give us a five-star rating. Here we go. Here goes nothing. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Developer Advocast. Today we're going to be talking about work-life balance in DevRel and we have two amazing guests, but before we get to introducing them, Sharon, Let's talk a little bit about one of our favorite communities of days past, OpenStack. I know you have a love-love relationship with them. So why don't you talk to us, tell us, remind us of those good old days. So when I think about the two communities that I call home, so obviously DevOps days and all of us are organizers of DevOps days, everyone on this panel, it's exciting. Um, But yeah, it was DevOps days and OpenStack. They gave you just like a bear hug. And I always felt like, it was coming home whenever I would go to those uh, to the conferences and meet up with friends on the community front. And I just, I recently read a blog post about, uh, you know, um, like everyone always claimed OpenStack was dead. And I feel like JJ was also part of the OpenStack community through Chef mm-hmm. and stuff. Is that, uh, oh, yeah. we're going to introduce JJ more formally in a bit, but uh, do you remember those days? Oh, absolutely. Uh, like the, I, I credit a lot of my career to that community actually. Yeah. They were such a phenomenal, they did everything, in my opinion, I think they did everything right on the community front. So that's uh, arms, definitely- Arms wide open, arms wide yeah. open, always accepting, listening, really, really listening to everyone's ideas, taking them and running with them. I really thought that was one of the most amazing things about it. One of my favorite things about the OpenStack community that I will always remember is that if you submitted one pull request, one line of code to, to that project, you got a free ticket to that event. And I just thought that that was so in- inclusive and everything I learned about inclusivity, I, I learned from the OpenStack uh, folks. So just big shout out to those people. They're awesome. They're still awesome. And they're also from Texas. <laughs> I, I, do, I, do need to, I do need to point out, though, that one line of code usually took about four hours worth of work because you got to <laughs> learn how to use Garrett. Um, oh, no, so that's, that's, that. that's kind of a deep cut for some, some people listening to this, but it's true. <laughs> it's true. All right, so like with every episode, we're going to give some community shout outs aside from the OpenStack community, which we love. And um, and we really- just Well, shout out Dotan yes. for reminding us about it. Yes, yes, definitely a great blog post that he uh, that he brought to our attention. Um, but yeah, so StatsCraft CFP is open, our local monitoring conf. It's going to be in Hebrew this year. And so I know that this is a more global podcast, but for those listening out of Tel Aviv, the CFP is open and our former keynote, Quinn, Quinn is with us today. So uh, we're going to be talking to her too. Hi. 
<laughs> yeah. Or you can introduce her more formally. There she is. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and also Lirantal uh, today put out a really great blog post that I thought was uh, pretty spectacular about um, some of the amazing open source innovation coming out of the Ukraine, giving a hand tip to some of the folks that are going through a very, very hard time and have done really great tech work. So just really hoping everything in the Ukraine ends soon and that we see peace in our time very soon. Yeah, definitely. And one more, you, uh, there was an event. Yes, one right? more. Yes, there's a very good engin- um, uh, event for engineering leaders, engineering managers, uh, led by uh, Linear B and their Dev Interrupted, very excellent Dev Interrupted community. I just thought I would give it a shout out on April 7th. An incredible lineup of some of the smartest women in tech, engineering managers. Like I was really impressed by the lineup. I have uh, not seen often such a ratio of, uh, you know, of women on, you know, a lineup, like about 70% women and all engineering managers leading women in the uh, industry. So I, that made me feel good as a woman in tech. And I, I just want to give them a shout out for that good work. Um, so that's right. it. So that's, without further ado, let's get into our episode. Um, I want to formally introduce our, uh, our guests, but I do just want to give a little bit of a preamble here because it's a, a little bit important to me because I don't want this episode to come off as like kind of a heavy episode. We had spoken about kind of work-life balance and burnout in the context of things. It's kind of the elephant in the room when it comes to, to DevRel. Um, we've seen it happen before. Many people that have uh, worked in the DevRel space have uh, found themselves burning out and working a little too hard. And that's also a byproduct, kind of the way how the role itself is even structured. We, you know, we had the previous episodes that um, really were a testament to how multidisciplinary the DevRel role is and everything that comes with it from the diversity of the interfacing within the organization, the diverse product and engineering tasks, even the outbound tasks. And that oftentimes comes with a lot of travel. And, and if you don't catch it soon enough, and if you, uh, you, know, you work yourself uh, too hard and you travel too often and you do a lot of things all at once, you can find yourself getting to a place where you are reaching you know, the brinks of burnout. And we want to, to bring folks that we think uh, can provide some really valuable insight um, so this is the moment that I really would like to introduce JJ Asgar um, today at IBM, but really one of the more seasoned developer advocates in the industry. I don't even know if that's your um, formal title. I'll allow you to introduce yourself, JJ. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, and that is my title as developer advocate, which we all know means literally nothing now. But um, <laughs> it's 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 ba- basically I'm I'm I try to be a personable nerd to um, <laughs> anyone talking to IBM. Um, I, I always say this and I'll say it here. I literally have the email address of awesome at ibm.com where um, you can get directly to me, which is really helpful. And one of the things I've learned in the DevRel community is you need a personal brand and me just being just pompous enough to have that email address uh, <laughs> makes me memorable. The CAO, the CAO of IBM. <laughs> Exactly. Pompous is never a word I would associate with JJ. I'll have you all know. <laughs> <laughs> and another seasoned, you know, developer advocate in the in the field, and somebody who I've always thought has so much empathy and kindness. Quintessence Anks. Uh, tell us what you're doing today. Formerly Logs.io and PagerDuty and App Dynamics and a million other things, and she's just uh, a dev advocate extraordinaire. And 
Quinn, welcome. Yeah. Hi. So yeah, you hit the, the three companies right off the bat, at least for advocacy work. Right now I'm at a company called Gavanti. I switched back into engineering work for a little bit here, but because we're a startup and I'm employee number nine, that also means that I carry over a lot of the people-facing aspect of the, of the role. And I also like to thank uh, developer advocacy and my preferred form is what I like to nickname paid altruism right? Because you have a parent company, but you're still hopefully really working for the community around that company or in its ecosystem, right? And so I get to maintain a lot of that as part of the current job I have. So that makes me happy. That's awesome. Happiness is very, very important. And we'll get to that in this episode. (laughs) The truth is I I invited uh, both uh, JJ and Quinn because um, JJ, uh, the last time I met up with him was was, uh, at the 10 year reunion at DevOps Days Ghent, uh, the organizer yeah. uh, summit. Uh, and I was intrigued that after all of that he's done in the industry, he actually chose to go to IBM. And I wanted to hear from him why that, he made that choice. And he had actually spoken about the fact that he was optimizing for work-life balance. And I found that really, really interesting. So I'd love for you to just unpack that for us, uh, JJ, and, and how you made that kind of choice and what led you to there. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, so. Before I was at IBM, I was at Chef Software. Uh, that was pre-acquisition, by the way. So don't don't no. I know nothing about the uh, <laughs> what the life after the acquisition. Um, it was pre-acquisition. Um, so I learned a lot about DevRel and how to interface with communities uh, with the avenue of Chef teaching me, learning from Nathan Harvey, uh, learning from Adam oh, Jacob. Nathan. Just the yeah, we had them out in DevOps. They still have also. Oh, that was amazing. Uh, that was an amazing one. Favorite people yeah. ever. And they really are those pe- those humans, right? Like they they wear their I think the term is their heart on the sleeves, They're and that that's absolute. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and and I learned a lot about how to interface with communities through them. And when um, I I hit a ceiling at Chef, and um, basically. They're like, JJ, you're not going to find the next, you're not going to be the next step. You should probably find something else. And I did, I took that as like, oh, no, that they're just messing with me, whatever. And I kind of held in a um, holding pattern. But the irony is, is the OpenStack community um, opened up a door for me at IBM. And um, I got hired on at IBM. And the reason why I did uh, was simply said, um, the work-life balance is phenomenal. Uh, I have two princesses, um, <laughs> and they're both under 15. I have two princesses. Um, That's me yeah. too. Yep. Uh, I also um, got the two princesses. It's, uh, and I was able to, and something IBM gave me was the um, flexibility to play, um, or to be, I should say not play, because I'm, I am a father, and be able to still um, fulfill the best I can in the communities that I'm a, a part of. Um, like no joke last week, uh, I said, fuck it. We're going to Disney world. And we, or I, I didn't say my wife did. I didn't actually make any choice, but, um, <laughs> the, uh, but we, we went to Disney world for a week and I was able to walk away from that at chef. That would have never happened. Right. I didn't take my laptop with me and wow. that's, that's really important. That's an important thing. I didn't take my laptop. Yeah, that's like I didn't take my laptop. I took my phone, but that's a different conversation. Um, but it, so, so hopefully, like where I'm trying to go with this is the the work life balance that IBM gave me, and 
the, the, the manager at the time who hired me sold it to me. And it's true where I was able to play and be the, the, the persona that I needed to be for DevRel, but at the same time, earn the amount of money that I needed to make sure that my life here in Austin, Texas is comfortable. My kids can be um, successful and I can give them the resources they need. And I can turn off, right? Like if I need to disappear for a week, i.e. Disney World, um, that's okay. If anything, my bosses are trying to push me out to go do more. They're like, JJ, you're doing too much. You need to rest because we don't want to burn you out. Because one of the biggest problems they have is that corporations will eat you alive, right? Like they, they don't tell you this um, when you're coming up through the ranks is that they don't care, right? They, you, you will, they will run you ragged until you stay. And I've learned over the years that I've been in this role is that sometimes, you know what? Yeah, sometimes you got to say no. Anyway, is, is this where you're going? Is, is this where, what you're looking for? I don't, I don't really, I'm, I'm babbling now. No, no, yeah, it's definitely what I'm looking for. Actually, one of the things that I remember you actually speaking about was a little bit um, about like how intense the travel was in your previous roles and like how you almost no, never saw your home or, you know, or, you yeah. know, a little over the top. And so that's amazing to hear that, that you could really make those decisions and really take that back, take, take back that control. So that's, um, I, well, I really so appreciate that. that. that yeah. That, that mirrors the, the, um, the challenge that I had when I first started at IBM. And, I, and now that I'm getting my, my head wrapped around the conversation again, um, that's actually what happened is because I got, the rule I had at IBM was I got a talk accepted. I'm on a plane tomorrow to go to that place. I got a lot of talks accepted all over the world and IBM sent me all over the world, but I didn't realize I could say no, mm -hmm. right? And now it's because it's been a little while since we had that conversation. Yeah. Um, I, I've learned a lot where, yeah, well, there's, there's been a pandemic in the way. Um, and, uh, I've learned to be able to say no. And I've learned to, and I've grown from that, that, that point where I was at that, you, you, you met me at that break, breaking point, right? That conversation we had was actually like, I was seriously about to throw up my hands and I'm like, fuck it. I'm out. Mm -hmm. This is like, this is breaking me. And I got to the point where. I still remember one of the worst times I had was um, DevOps Days Stockholm. I flew in. It took me about nine hours to ten, nine, ten hours to fly there. I was there for less than 24 hours. Wow. And then I hopped on a plane and came back home. When you spend more time in a, on long haul flights than in the actual place you are, that's not healthy. Yeah, it's when nice. I did, when I used to do that, I um I would get sick. I would come home and I'd have struck throat for a week, and then <laughs> then what did I do with that? And then I was again, I was like bedridden for a week, and I barely didn't see see my children. So I totally feel that. Um, thank you for that. Thank you for sharing that. That's uh... well, yeah, Quinn, you you probably have some personal experiences on on you know similar uh, ish veins. What do you, you please? Yeah, and. Us? And saying no is there's a, a lot to unpack there because the ability to say no usually comes with seniority, right? And not just in terms of practice, but in terms of actual conveyed authority, right? So when you have someone who's more junior and is perceived as junior in their role or new to their role, um, and I don't just mean new to the company, I mean like new they're kind of perceived as having less pushback, like, but I asked you to do something 
right? And when you have people who kind of hit that wall, you'll get people who are very prone to burnout. So burnout can, the, the discussion of what type of care or what type of protective measures you can use to to guard yourself is going to be a little bit different for people who have have less tenure in the industry or at a particular company so that they can actually get what they need. And something that I find that tends to help is to have conversations with your direct manager team. If you have one, if you're solo dev, solo dev rel, keep it with your manager or in skip level maybe, because you need to have a firm understanding of what they want from DevRel. And it's not a conversation about more is better in terms of what is frequently called vanity metrics, like more conferences is what we want. You need to know the why, because that will allow you to have an arguing position about what's actually a good choice or a bad choice. So let's talk about Stockholm for a second, because it was the last example that was dropped. So let's say that I'm in my first year of DevRel at a new company, and they want to send me to DevOps Day Stockholm. I've accepted talk and all the prerequisites are out of the way. And that, that's all set up. If I know that they're only going to send me for a flight, a talk, leave the venue after I give the talk and fly back or leave it at the end of day and fly back or, or whatever the logistics are there. If they don't know what they want out of that situation, then I have the ability to say, does this meet the thought, does this meet your criteria? Am I reaching the audience you want to reach? Do we have a business presence in Europe? Do we have a business presence here in particular? Do we have, are we going to try to attract talent here? Are we going to be sending sales and or marketing and or product people here? Like what is the whole package for this particular event? And then you can start to assign, you know, travel value so that some people are of the mind that they can do the back-to-back travel where they fly maybe to someplace in Europe from the United States, and then they just do conference travel across the continent kind of, and then make their way back. And that's one strategy if the if it fits with what the company is looking to do. But then the other strategy is like, if we're going to be doing a trip like that, let's say Stockholm ticks a lot of boxes, but doing a single day stay is like really taxing on the individual. You can also use those whys that you've now asked, hopefully, to make a case for a week and like a legitimate one, not just, I want to spend a week in Stockholm, although that'd be cool, right? But I want to spend a week in this region when I can take trains or planes, I know, trains or planes <laughs> to these other places and visit these clients or visit these people or, or whatever. And now I've made a case for not switching time zones so aggressively in such a tiny window and you can make it out there and, and actually have a, a plan to proceed instead of, you know, back and forth, back and forth. And then the other thing that comes out of this in terms of guarding your burnout specifically, going back to what I said at the beginning, you need to be able to kind of, in, in a situation like that, especially if you're solo DevRel and you're kind of the bottleneck for every request that's going to come at you, you need to have an understood by others triage for that. So when people come to you with a request and you just say, no, it kind of starts to feel bad and you need to have good relationships in your company as much as outside. So if people just see you as the no person, it's why security, unfortunately, InfoSec gets a bad rap. If people don't understand why you're saying no, then they just feel the rejection without Mm -hmm. context, without the ability to give you better requests in the future. I'm not saying all of InfoSec is like this, but if you you start to follow people who talk about issues in InfoSec, they talk about this a lot, right? They have to say no, or they have to tell you to do something in it. And it's hard. And so if you're in this situation where you need to protect your time, giving people clearly defined, I understand from my boss and my skip level what they want to accomplish. This is what the rest of the company can send me that will be acceptable. 
And this will guarantee you, requester, your odds of success of getting output from me, the dev role at your company. And that can have a really healthy relationship. I got to ask, I got to ask a follow up here, Q, because you you touched on something that you, I think you kind of went over, but it's nice (laughs) to to fill in this gap, which was, you said like, hey, let's talk about that Stockholm instance of like this being going to this event. But before that, there's that, let's just say 10% acceptance rate to get to, to a conference, right? Like, what would you tell someone or what would you say coming up the ranks and to not worry about that burnout? Cause this is something I struggle with. I still struggle with. Sure. Like, how can you say, Hey, this not my, th- like you need to accept, like you got accepted. You had a 10% chance of that, but Oh, by the way, the business says, and eh, no, you don't need to go actually there. Like, how do you, how do you balance? How do you reconcile that with the it's- acceptance rate? And uh, do you see where we're going with this? I do. I think it's the same in the opposite direction. The same technique you use to guard your no can be used to guard your yes as well. And if you know the why criteria, you make the same argument in reverse. Like, actually, I was accepted to Stockholm. Actually, and we have a 10% acceptance and 90% of their audience is this, this, and this, and we can make these connections and I can do this. And we have three clients in 15 minutes of that city or whatever, right? And now you've done the same thing in reverse. Two sides of the same coin, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Really cool. Yeah. Um, that was a that was a ton that was a ton of like yeah <laughs> fantastic yeah. information. Right? Unpacked, oh, wow. You did it. You unpacked. Yeah, that was that was a un, that that suitcase was yeah unpacked. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's all a strategy game, right? And you have to know what the I, I don't want to make it a game, but like it's like any other game. You know, you need to know the rules of the game in order to move your pieces on the court. And it's the same for yeses and nos. Well, how much mm-hmm. do you feel the difference that the change between doing this at a startup now versus doing it at a, at a larger organization? I mean, the way that it's implemented, I think is the same because it's, you just need to know what the different criteria are, right? You're working DevRel, pick Apti Cisco because Apti Cisco is huge. Apti had a DevRel program. Cisco has uh, DevNet. Uh, like they don't have a DevRel. They have a fleet <laughs> of DevRels, right? Mm-hmm. But that also changes how you're making decisions because then you have people in different geographies. In fact, you probably have hiring pipelines very on purpose in different geographies so that I might not go to Stockholm, but the person in Paris might, Mm -hmm. right? Things like that. And so understanding the situation you're in is still really important for big companies. Small company, again, you're still kind of navigating the same land map. You're just using different resources. This is the resources of the company, the size of the company, the desires of the company, the timeline. I'm going to use all of that to make my arguments for where I'm going out to and what happens if I'm accepted, right? Am I only accepting an acceptance if I get multiple in a geographic region that's far from me as the only person that's traveling? So I need three acceptances and we'll, we'll just keep picking Europe because I'm in the United States. Do I need three acceptances in Europe in general to warrant going to anyone individually? Is that even feasible to like make as an argument? Or can I go to anyone specifically and do other tasks while I'm out there? So again, it's, I think it's more of the same. You just need to know what your resources are and what the plan is and what the strategy is. And of course, for people who are solo DevRel, that also means you're in the position where you can create or influence strategy because they're going to look for you. I find a lot of companies see DevRel popping up, so they want a DevRel, but then they're just like, you tell me what you do. And this can be very overwhelming, so but it can also give you a lot of power if you can leverage the situation. 
Yeah, it's like uh, you'll see those job descriptions these days that's, that one like, I don't know, 12 years of experience in technology that only exists like six years. So like those that put yeah. out these like uh, requirements for like DevRel roles, they'll add every single possible capability into it or like DevOps roles, every single possible tool on planet Earth and every cloud that ever existed. But eventually at the end of the day, it's like everything in project management or even like sprints or whatever, you have to be able to understand the intent and the outcome and eventually some things can come into the pipe and some things cannot and you have to be able to, to really understand what's moving the needle and um, what part of the things that you do you know actually have an impact on like uh, what you're trying to achieve and then that's byproduct of right. really having a company you know being able to communicate the goals that they're looking for and so when you understand that really really well you can also advocate for yourself in the context of work-life balance a lot better I really thought those were really great in insights for you thank you so much for that um, one of the things I actually did uh, want uh, you to keep uh, going on there that you were the last speaker, but uh, I really love your talk on quantified serendipity. Um, oh, yeah. Quinn. I've seen it a few times. <laughs> yeah, I watched it uh, online before I invited you to Tel Aviv to do it. And uh, and um, I really like, like the aspects you spoke about there about empowering diversity in tech. And I, I, as a person who really has a, a very good grasp um, about how you think about empowering people to take more ownership of their like kind of destiny. Um, yeah. I would love, you know, for you to share some tips on how you, you know, what you would recommend on the mental health and work-life balance side. Um, what are sure. conscious choices that you should make in the context of, you know, um, DevRel when, uh, yeah. when you take on a role like that? I would say, I mean, it's all about strategy. And if you're unfamiliar with how to like do strategy and Google searches aren't helping you like finding a mentor in the community that can help you. I mean, I, I leave my Twitter DMs open. I'm not the only one who does, but, but relevantly, I guess, to this conversation, having a conversation with someone who's been doing it for a little while so that you can start to use the interview process bi-directionally. And this is the same advice you give anyone. And I really believe that the biggest safeguard to your mental health, I promise this is an off topic, right? The biggest safeguard to your mental health is trying to avoid being in a bad situation rather than fixing a bad situation you find yourself in. Mm -hmm. Knowing what you're stepping into can really help with that. It's going to be imperfect, right? It's for the same reason that interview loop on the hiring side, you're trying to assess a whole lot of skills very briefly. You're going to be doing the same thing on your side of the table. But if you can start to ask certain questions and see how your interviewer or interviewers in the plural respond to those, you can really try and help yourself be set up for success for the various places you're, you're interviewing at, again, within whatever other constraints you have. But once you're already out of place, knowing, getting in a good place where either the company gives you strategy or gives you the power to dictate strategy, which goes back to guarding your nose and yeses. Like if they say more conferences, and if you ask them what conferences do you want or what criteria do you have, and they say you don't have any, they're like, you can say, great, I'm going to take a week or a month or however long it's going to take me. I'm going to give you a strategy, and then we're going to follow the strategy. And that also guards your mental health because now you've told them how you're going to implement the gray area that they've kind of handed you. And being able to kind of, I think they, people refer to this a little bit as like managing upward. Mm -hmm. um, and that can happen a lot in a role that's amorphously defined, right? It goes back to everybody saying, we want someone with coding skills and we want someone who will travel, but can travel a lot, but there's a pandemic. So can you also make a lot of visual or written or recorded content and this and that and the other thing? And if they're not really sure what they're trying to get out of all of that, 
being able to dictate to them what you think they can reasonably expect to get out of that will really help you with your mental health because then it also gives you something to fall back on for something else that can plague DevRel, which is prove your value. What have you done for us lately? We don't, yes, we saw you go to the conferences, but if they don't tell you why they want you there and then all of a sudden it feels off somehow or they don't feel that they're getting what they want out of it, that means that there's been an uncommunicated expectation that you're just gonna keep hitting until you get them to like tell you what it is. Um, and it can also give you the ability to validate in terms of your mental health, where if people say, oh, well, we aren't sure what you're doing, you can tell them. And then you tie it into the business model for them and say, I attended these conferences. We got this many warm leads or this many qualified leads on sales because I had talked to people and they went to our sponsorship booth or, or whatever, whatever framing you need to, to give it there. And then you feel like you're in a stronger position, even if you're at a company that kind of wanted you, but doesn't know what they want to mm -hmm. do about it. I agree. I think that, um, no, like I've, I've been at places where they came in there like, Hey, figure it out or like build us a strategy or whatever it is, but they didn't really understand the KPIs. And that's, that's a double-edged sword because right. eventually you think, Oh, this is great. I don't have any KPIs so I can do whatever I want. But at the end of the day, you find yourself like it can working bite you. even harder because yeah. you don't actually know what you're, you know, what you're up against and you don't know how to prove right. success. It's like you can't prove a success or a failure at the end of the day, but like when you can't prove success, you're like constantly right. chasing your tail and you're trying to. Exactly. Uh, when you uh, can't prove success, you're going to self-burn out just to prove exactly. volume, mm -hmm. right? We might not know what we got out of it, but I wrote 15 blog posts this yeah. month. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah. What are your thoughts so, on that, uh, JJ? I feel like, yeah, you have some insights there. Yeah. As a person, as so, a person so, who worked off to the place where they learned how to, you know, kind of say no and, and put the, the gates up. And so, yeah, definitely uh, love to hear your... Uh, Thoughts. So without without giving out too much of the secret sauce, um, IBM, on the flip side of being a massive corporation that believes in metrics for everything, um, we have this term internally called eminence. I don't know, still don't know what that means. <laughs> I actually don't know what it means. Um, and you're, sometimes, you're first, folks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I've actually seen it to the point where they've looked at my Twitter followers. And they're like, oh, JJ has more than 50 Twitter followers. He, that must mean he must have a lot of eminence. <laughs> yeah. I, like, I, I don't like, it's like, clout. I, like they're using oh, clout. like star clout or star power or whatever. That's yeah. something that yeah, like yeah, Steph right. as well. Yeah. And, and that is the, uh, actually cute. That, that brings up a great statement around this conversation. The whole thing is that because there's different styles of DevRel. Right, we have our celebrity DevRels that want to like play the celebrity role. We've got our super technical DevRels. We've got our DevRels that just want to create content and don't undo the the traveling and all that. Another thing, as as you go through this process, you need to identify what that that personality type you are, and be able to sure you can mold your role into that one. Because mm -hmm. trust me, trust me, you get put into that wrong bucket with that skill or that not those, those skill, not those skills, not those skills, you will burn out very quickly because you will yeah. discover that you are living on a, it's, 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 it's horrible. Like I'll write a blog post maybe every six months, but if you're asking me to write 15 blog posts in a week, I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the next bottle of scotch, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like it's, it's, it's that point where I am to the, anyway, I, I forgot how I got onto this point. <laughs> No, that's what, really about um, you were talking about star power and eminence. Yes, thank you. 
Um, so, so one of the challenges at IBM is that we try to metricize a lot of the stuff of like, we, we look for what we called um, active developers, I think is the term um, internally. And we discovered through us, and one reason why they leveraged DevRel so hard is that the way they got active developers on IBM Cloud, which was when you actually went into IBM Cloud and turned on one service, right? You didn't matter what it was, but as long as you turned on one service as a new user, you became an active developer. Well, we discovered if you could give a free Kubernetes cluster and do a, uh, even for 30 days and do a workshop giving that free Kubernetes cluster on IBM Cloud, all of a sudden we got active developers. We got a bunch of active. So all of a sudden we had all these workshops all over the world, right? Of all these IBM developer advocates teaching these things. And it was a really interesting metric until people gamified it, right? <laughs> Where all of a sudden, like you put a bunch of nerds together and they're like, wait a second, I can get these really nice checkboxes on my name if this happens. How do we optimize to make that happen? And then it just, it, 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 it ended up eating itself because now all of a sudden it didn't mean anything. I, mm -hmm. I genuinely think somebody created a bot at one point and that's a different conversation <laughs> for a different time. I mean, sure. Um, I, had I had a feeling it was going point. there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, and it goes back to that whole eminence narr narrative, right? Where then all of a sudden they're like, well, the, 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 the gradients, no, the, the tube, what the, the tube with the little lines on a measuring cup. What's the, what's the term? Um, starts with a G graduated Gradient? cylinder. Gra oh, graduated oh. cylinder. Graduated. Yeah. Graduated. graduated. Yeah. Thank you. Um, the graduated cylinder of, of, of measuring the thing <laughs> all of a sudden means nothing. And all of a sudden that bleeds into the conversation of the eminence. Like, does this actually mean nothing? Like is JJ being followed just by a bunch of bots? Like does, does, does it mean nothing? And all of a sudden, it, it feeds into the larger conversation of DevRel, where you're like, well, what are they, what are they doing? <laughs> like, why are we flying this? And then it boils back to you, where you're like, well, I need to prove my worth. So I need to be in places and have conversations. And it's this weird, like, there's no answer. Like, that's what I'm trying to get at, right? There's no answer to any of this. And it's a really hard place for us to be as an industry or as, as a subsection of our industry. And yeah. I'm trying to be positive here, but no, no, I mean, I, I, I totally get what you're saying. One of the first, one of the first episodes, the very first episode, sorry, is we did with Amir Shvat. One of the things that we spoke about with him is about kind of like the different disciplines with, within the context of developer relations, or developer relations, developer experience, community, developer advocacy. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like in the same way that you wouldn't just hire a product manager, right? Um, this is something that a friend of mine from this community, Nimrod Kramer said, he was like, you know, if you have a certain product, you want the, the manager, you know, the product manager to, to have a certain focus, if it's mobile or networking or, you know, operating systems, or you wouldn't just hire a product manager. So it's the same for DevRel. If you have a developer relations expert, you want them to have a certain expertise. Are you looking for more content? Are you looking for um, a seasoned speaker? Are you looking for somebody who's going to be doing technical examples? It's not like a one size fits all. And then when there's misaligned expectations, you find yourself chasing your tail in areas that probably one aren't in your comfort zone and um, don't play to your strengths and also that you don't actually know how to optimize for. So I, th I thought that was really interesting. Um, well, why, why don't we just send all our solutions architects to the DevRel <laughs> infrastructure there conversations, right? I mean, like I've actually, I've had that happen at IBM and I'm just like, no. 
Well, I would say that like that, that there are aspects of like, you know, success or like developer success in the context of, uh, of developer relations. It is a kind of solution architecture kind of oh. role that there is some overlap Venn there. But I, yeah. <laughs> there is a, I'm sure there's a Venn diagram. Yeah. <laughs> that, that yeah, I totally but uh, yeah, so I think there are certainly some aspects there. But so one of the things that, you know, a big part of DevRel and, and um, you know, in general, like kind of um, communities is, is kind of the, the side of like kind of the open source and volunteer kind of communities. We spoke about OpenStack and things like that. And one of the things that we've, uh, that I've seen and some historically I've heard, um, you know, in the Python community that there was a lot of burnout due to, you know, um, misaligned expectations from maintainers and contributors and I'm just wondering how you can build a sort of um, more reasonable expectation and SLA into like volunteer led communities um, to help them be more sustainable. You know, we have all seen, you know, how open source is becoming less and less sustainable. All of us are in the context of open source and love open source and it's kind of heartbreaking to see what's happening there. So, I mean, that was kind of a ramble, but how do we, you know, kind of lead uh, by example and help build like uh, more reasonable expectations in terms of work-life balance and uh, in entire like communities. JJ, from your experience, you know. That's a big question. Yeah. That's a big question. Is I it something that we can even influence or is that, you know, that's, yeah, go for it when you already have them. I mean, I think that part of it is clearly communicating expectations. And especially if it's not a new open source project and you have some historics you can rely on, it can really help you because then you can kind of FAQ style, address some common patterns or anti-patterns off the top where you can say requests typically come for information to be added, but doesn't say to be added where, says that I found an error, but doesn't say on what page it is or whatever. And you can start to say, you can start to even take have an intake form using whatever free tier tool of choice you have and kind of make it a required field that you kind of have to tell a ween to know where it is or what version of your operating system or what version of our tool or both you're using, like maybe require people do a full printout or something like that. And then you can take a look at like more information is better off the top because at least then you're not gonna have, like if you know you have a two week response time, let's just pick a, a nice number then knowing that if you get your requesters, your community to give you as much information on the top as possible means that you're not going to be going through a really inefficient process with the person you're communicating with where they'll say, hey, I'm having a problem installing your product, no other information. No, hey, no what version of your operating system are you running? They tell you, hey, what version of our tool are you using? They tell you, and if you know that you're gonna be doing days or weeks in between these, because again, it's not your day job or, or what have you, then making them required on the form, at the very least, if they miss a few or they don't provide enough, you know what you're hitting them with first. If they, you know, hey, you gave us the major version number, but we need the full version number or whatever. And you can like go through what they've provided and see where the gaps are. And you can really tighten that info, info gathering aspect, which I think can really help. But I also think clearly communicating general lead times where you notice how long it takes you if you're a solo maintainer or your team, if there are more than one of you to respond, you can set that expectation. I think sometimes it feels bad when people are like, I don't want to send a set a two week or a one month like expectation. But honestly, if you think about it from your community's perspective, I would rather know that I should expect to wait a month than to wait a month and not know 
that I should like, are you getting back to me ever at that point? If it's more than like a few days, I'd say, just tell them how long it's going to take you to get back to them due to request volume or, or whatever reason you give. And I think that doing stuff like that can really help because really people remember how it is to interact with you. And mm -hmm. it's kind of starting off the example I'm choosing right now is starting off in a negative footing where they're experiencing some problem or some issue that they're trying to contact you about. So making that as efficient as possible for them will really help turn that around. And I think it makes it feel better to be working on the open source on the maintainer side too. You wanna to talk about sustainable. We know that we don't wanna work on things that make us feel bad. Do you really want to go through the, the issue queue or whatever in your GitHub repo for your project if you know that you're just going to see just whatever you're going to see since you look last, a bunch of angry vitriol. people pinging on their, right, like vitriol or, or whatever, and they'll, people responding to their own tickets because you haven't responded yet and they don't know when to expect to hear from you, so they just keep doing pings, so it has a very short last updated window. So it doesn't accidentally get filtered out. People kind of making assumptions on what they think your process might be and why they might be getting missed or whatever. And it's just going to kind of be chaotic there. So introducing as much process as possible that's reasonable can really help. Um, I don't think that there's going to be a one size fits all for solution. It's definitely going to be a contextual, know where your personal points of friction and difficulty are and try and design process to, to mitigate it as much as possible so that you're set up for success and your community is set up for success. Yeah. Should we open up a Patreon for open source maintainers? Be like, <laughs> pay them. That way they could quit their day job and they could just purely yeah. work open source. I mean, that sounds sounds like one heck of an idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So they yeah. can sponsor repos these days through GitHub that I've seen. And it's a, that's a really great move on their part. And I'm happy to mm -hmm. see that. Um, what's your take, uh, JJ? Yeah, I'm chewing on it. And Really I'm sure you actually, know. as a person, you know, at, formerly at Chef, I'm sure you had an influx of like kind of from the open source side and open source, uh, you know, the maintain, maintenance of the community. How did, how was yeah. that from the, from the Chef side, just, just from your experience? And how did you kind the, of manage it? Yeah. Manage the volume? Um, well, so most of the times I get involved in communities, including Chef, was that there was already some level of process um, that Q was alluding to um that had already existed and i kind of helped like when i usually come into a community in general i'm i'm considered a town builder right so there's like the there's the pioneer the town builder and the city planner kind of engineers out there right and i find myself usually gravitating to the the town town builder where there might be, for lack of a better term, a great general store and like a post office, but there's still some dirt, dirt roads, if you will, right? Where there is a little bit of a process, but you know, you're still gonna like blow a wheel or whatever. I don't know. I'm, I'm <laughs> stretching that metaphor farther than I should. Um, nice though. That's but, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but in all seriousness, um, I find myself gravitating to those spaces because it allows me to experiment and, and help communities kind of build up to that point, uh, to the point of a city, like a real process oriented space. And the one thing I've learned over and over again, especially in the, in the chef community, is that there are a lot of people out there that wrap themselves up in the, the colors of the project and they wear those colors excessively um, to the point where they almost take it personally when things go wrong. And those humans, um, it's a, 
in, it's almost a growth thing where you recognize, like I did it too. Like I was the VMware chef guy on the planet. You talked mm -hmm. about VMware and chef at one point for about a year, two years and a half, I was the only person on the planet who understood it. And it got me into some really interesting conversations in the VMware ecosystem, but I quickly recognized that I got a lot of shit thrown at me, right? Like I got a, yeah. and it was, it was not, it was not good, but I had to learn that it's okay not to wear those colors. And there's a lot of people out there who have not learned to not wear those colors, if that makes sense. And to cultivate a community, you need to find your champions who, who are able to, we're able to understand the value and bring these things forward. And, and be able to, to be successful. Back to, to Quinn's point, where you have that process to be able to have that quick feedback loop, you identify the people who understand the, the process that is created, help iterate, build on that process more. And then in turn, it's, it's, it, it's, a, it's a, a dividend effect, where all of a sudden that process gets a little bit better, and it gets a little bit better. Like I joke when everyone, any, I come to any project at all, the first thing I do is I look for a getting started guide. If I don't find a getting started guide, the first thing I do is I PR a getting started guide into the doc, just in the docs, just to say, this is my experience trying to get it. Because people forget that the developers who are writing the stuff, they live and breathe in that world as much as they can because it's their, their project that scratches that itch. As a new user, I have a completely different view of what's going on. And here's the getting started guide of my experience. And then hopefully the next person who comes along looks at that same getting started guy. Wait a second. Did I just describe creating documentation for projects <laughs> that happen should happen in every single company in every sprint? Wait a second. Wait a second. It is so anyway. important though. It, it is. is. It is. Have to chop wood and carry water and do do that. I appreciate that. Exactly. I like it. <laughs> Uh, you know, Sharon, I want to, uh, yeah. uh, go ahead. What did you add? One more question. No, I, have one more, I did have one more question because it reminded me of one more thing that I actually, I feel like uh, this is the right forum to ask. I feel like, I guess all of us, in general, in general, I mean, we're, we tend to be people that are givers and we give a lot back to the community and we're very like kind of, um, we, we at least try to be open to, to helping others. And I found that another part of um, one of the things that um, to me, from my personal experience is um has contributed to my feeling overwhelmed at times and um, is having that open door. And like uh, Quinn said, she said like her DMs are always open. And as much as you want to kind of give and mentor and, and you know, help people. And um, sometimes like there are more requests in the queue than you have time to kind of fulfill. Uh, and I'm just wondering how you can think about balancing that out in the context of being a public facing person and a DevRel and a person who wants to help people um, to not get to a place where like it's, uh, it's more than you, you want to give in a sense, where you still feel happy about, about that. So I guess. I, I'm still trying to figure that out. I, I, yeah. I haven't actually figured that out yet. I genuinely haven't. And yeah. it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> it's exhausting. <laughs> I feel like it's really iterative too. I don't think there's a single like easy approach to it where sometimes you might promise more time because you have more energy for whatever reason, mm -hmm. for a certain time window. And you might find it's that difficult. unexpectedly, you don't have energy in a different interval. Um, maybe do, maybe you got a cold, maybe you had a world event upend your ability to be at internal peace. Um, 
whatever the situation is. And so you kind of need to adjust to it in, in real time. And I think as much as I don't have a perfect solution for how to kind of protect yourself, maybe upfront, other than like, don't promise things you already know you can't get. But if you find yourself kind of backed into a corner a bit, being able to kind of agilely just communicate new deadlines to people and be like, Hey, I know I promised this. It feels bad. Don't get me wrong. That's why we all hate it. It feels bad. But if you can, if you can say, Hey, I know I commit to this and I just can't set a new deadline, if there is one or drop it entirely, if you need to, or whatever you need to do, and just kind of be able to do that. I think it can really help you. Yeah. It's funny because you know how like sometimes you have like you know, that that sigh of relief when like a meeting gets canceled. So I feel like in the DevRel space, that's like when a talk gets canceled. So just three days ago, <laughs> <laughs> had a talk get canceled, and I was like, and they're like apologizing to me, and I'm like, <laughs> I was so happy about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So- Sometimes, yeah, we bite off more than we can chew. But uh, I wanted to wrap really, really quickly with like just a, a lighter question. Um, this is just personal for you guys, each you. Um, whoever wants to start first, tell us something that you do in your own life to just enjoy and relax and not have to focus on the work stuff. JJ, why don't you go ahead and start us off there? Wow. Um, I, I've, I've learned to cook more. Oh, um, nice. I spend a lot of time. Well, I was a big, well, before we'll, we'll pandemic, be heading to Texas, we'll be there soon. And then Portland the, to Jason. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Actually, no, you should just go directly to Kip Isaac. He's so much better than me. Don't, don't even bother me. Um, I love you, Jason. Uh, <laughs> the, um, but in all seriousness, before the pandemic, before the pandemic, I was trying to learn how to bake bread. Um, and then all of all the cool kids started baking bread. So obviously I had to continue it. And I discovered <laughs> I actually have a really good, I'm, I'm relatively good at it. Um, and then I started breeding, uh, going over into other spaces inside of cooking and whatnot. And I've discovered, um, I'm, I'm very, I'm open about this now. I was kind of closed about this, but I am open about this now. Is I've learned that cooking is my love language. It's how I show love to my Maddie family. Stratton taught me that line. And then I discovered that yeah. that's my truth too. That's funny. Yeah. It, like, like I, I want, I, I don't know how, like, I'm not very, like on stage, I have a personality, but in, in private life, I'm, I'm a board gamer. I'm a nerd. I, I like drinking a little bit of beer and like watching Netflix. Like I'm, I'm very like in, intertwined. And when I'm with my family, I'm like that because that's, that's who I am. Right. Like that's who I am personally. But I've never been able to express it. I mean, I, I live with two princesses and a wife. Like, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of male companionship, so I never <laughs> really knew how to speak to my, my my female counterparts. But I've learned that by me by me cooking, I've been able to show that I'm trying to give them healthy food. I'm trying to get them to be healthy. I'm showing that I'm putting the effort in to make sure that we're not just going to McDonald's or some shit, right? Like, like it's 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 small, but it's enough to show and. Also, I'm relatively good at pulling noodles, surprisingly. <laughs> so I can make I can make different types of noodles. I've heard that's difficult. I've heard that's difficult. So wow. you know, like I've been actually my, my youngest, who is seven, has actually been like, "Daddy, can I have daddy noodles today?" Oh, and I'm like, yeah, "Yes, <laughs> yes, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it." So. My little my little one my little one is nine. She asked me for steak. Daddy, oh. I want steak. Just give me steak. I'm like. 
Well, you know the way to my heart, and that's what we had. That's what we had for. That's what we had for dinner. That's what we had for dinner tonight. So I'm happy. There you go. Perfect. I love it. I love it. So. All right. Awesome. <laughs> Cooking, Quinn. Yeah. So sorry. Um, yeah, remind me what we got. Oh. I got a little side what What do you What do you like to do just to wind down to for your personal? Down. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about work life balance. So I'm yeah. interested in the life part. Life balance. <laughs> the life balance. So I do enjoy being what I have literally like 24 hours ago to decide to call community auntie. Like, so like, I don't have kids, but my friends have kids and I play with them. Yeah. And I, I love this. The pandemic was super hard because a lot of them were like young enough that like there was a concern and, and it was a while before vaccine roll, rollouts hit their age ranges and whatnot. I love those kids though. I also get the like, it's the best place in the world. I think I will always advocate for being an auntie. You sleep at night. Uh, (laughs) and then you, and then you get all the playtime without all the worry. (laughs) So it's like, so I really, I really genuinely do enjoy that. I also enjoy reading a a lot. I'm a really low key person. So I do just like to lay around with my cat, um, (laughs) read a book. We have a dog as well. A very floppy golden doodle that likes to just just tear it up he is so cute it's it's kind of ridiculous how cute he is what is a golden doodle yeah golden golden retriever poodle mix that's what i thought i was thinking that's what it is it sounded like that so basically golden retriever with like curly hair short curly hair with bangs in his eyes and everything like just that's too ridiculous it's ridiculous how cute this dog is the the male person was dropping off mail a few days ago and he gets really excited he just wants to play with everyone who enters his domain and they had to walk up to the door or whatever and and they just looked at him and they were like he's a muppet because he kind of looks like a muppet he really does so anyway that'll yeah all of that is, is really helpful for me. Wonderful. Well, I like that we got to wrap this on a smiley, enjoyable, fun note. Uh, and we really appreciate all the amazing information and knowledge that you dropped on us. And, um, you know, we learned so much and we hope that we can all, uh, you know, use those practices in our lives to, to make, you know, to normalize, you know, as much as possible, the amount that we have to deal with those different, you know, forces in our lives. So thank you both very much. Uh, and Sharon, it's always a pleasure. Always doing this. And Quinn and JJ, always a pleasure. (laughs) I mean, I'm talking about from like the hosting, you know, I didn't get, I didn't speak that much this time around and I'm really happy. It's true. I dominated the conversation. Really great to listen. (laughs) No, it's so great to just, no, no, no. I just get to sit back, chill and listen. I loved it. Um, so yeah, thank you guys so, so much. We had a fantastic time. So happy time. you could join us. Uh, and I love that, like, at least that these kinds of mediums can bring us together from afar, from, you know, different sides of the earth. Um, yeah. And we're going to bring you to Tel Aviv sometime, my, my DevOps uh, friends, Yay. friends. And, uh, I yeah, miss all back. of you. Yeah, we, um, that's one thing I can say. DevOps Day is also such a great community best community on earth really is all right everyone well thank you both this is it thank you at the end of the episode and i guess i should be like one of those youtubers like like subscribe comment share (laughs) i'll save that i'll save that for the intro 
Um, <laughs> thank you both so much. We had a wonderful time and us. have a really, really fantastic day. And yeah, let's hope that we can all chill out and have a, a, a you know enjoyable time while we get our work done that we want to get done. So thank you both very, very much. Absolutely. Right, thanks, y'all. Route. Bye-bye. <laughs>